This is most certainly true. In the greatest act of selfless mercy, God sent His own Son into our world to die for your sins, and we can't stop talking about it. We now present this sermon, recently delivered at Grace, to you. Jesus teaches us that he is the bread of life because feasting on him is the only way for us to have real life. These words are the basis also for today's sermon, the gospel according to John chapter 6. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, When did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I had performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires. Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The Gospel of the Lord. There have been many different versions throughout the years, but they all end in the same way. They started out pretty basic, pretty simple. The first rays of the sun come pouring in through the bedroom window. A husband and a wife are sleeping there quietly and peacefully. A clicking noise is heard from down in the kitchen. Soon an aroma fills the house. They both simultaneously somehow take in a deep breath and it opens their eyes. And it puts a smile on their face. There have been some sentimental versions as well, especially around the holidays. There was one where a brother and a sister, presumably off at different colleges at different ends of the, earth, of the country, decide that they're going to surprise mom and dad for Christmas by coming home. And they surprise them again by remembering to turn on the coffee pot, and that 
One, it's the sound of their children's voices and the smell of the coffee that puts a smile on the parent's face. And there's even been pandemic-inspired versions. One where a mother was attending a meeting from at home and she was using her coffee cup to try to hide the rambunctious children that are running around in the background. And another one where a man attended a Zoom call and he chose the no pants option but forgot to have the camera zoomed up to only show his upper half. If you've seen those or any other Folgers commercial you know that it ends with one of the most famous jingles that has ever been written. You know it well enough that you could sing it along with me. The best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup. Is that your life in the morning? Do you live a Folgers commercial? Have you figured out how to program the coffee maker so that it turns on a half an hour before you need to get up? Do you remember to pour the water in it the night before so that your master plan will work? Maybe you you are like that, and I wouldn't blame you, and I would understand why, because the smell of there's something about the smell of coffee. For me, that's not that coffee smell though, that will open my eyes and put a smile on my face. I like it well enough, but for me, because of the experience I had as a child, for me, it's the smell of bread. My father was a hobby baker and was always tinkering with this concoction and that one, making bread and sticky buns and stolen and a bunch of delicious, delightful treats that I forget the names of, but it happened often enough that he would be up early in the morning in the kitchen preparing his masterpieces, having it in the oven, and it's the smell of that bread that wafted its way up the stairs and down the hall to the bedroom, and it was the smell of bread that filled my nostrils and opened my eyes and put a smile on my face. I wonder what delightful treat is waiting for me for breakfast this time. Maybe you don't have a baker in your family and you haven't been as blessed as me. But you know what it's like to walk into a bakery, whether that's at the grocery store or a place like Greeby's, you open the door and you're hit with it. Suddenly, the budget doesn't matter, right? Because you want a loaf of that and a couple of those and some of that on the side. It all smells so delicious. You just want it to be at home. You want it to be in your belly. It's just so nice. Whether you are a baker yourself and like to tinker with this concoction and that recipe or not, whether you often visit the bakery or bread's just not your thing, we've got a feast before us today, a feast that Jesus identifies, a feast that Jesus is for us. And so today we feast and today we celebrate that Jesus is the best bread. For the last two weeks, the gospel reading, for this Sunday's gospel reading, and for the next two Sunday's gospel readings, we'll be looking at a two-day period 
of time in the life of Jesus, his disciples, and the crowds of people that surrounded the Sea of Galilee. Jesus was trying to get some quiet time with his disciples. He was on a boat with them sailing across the sea, but the people had no interest in giving him that quiet time. Some of them followed him on boats. Others double-timed it around the Sea of Galilee, and the same crowd that Jesus and his disciples left, he met them on the other side. That was the crowd of whom Jesus said, these are like sheep without a shepherd. That was the setting for the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus preached to them his words of forgiveness and grace. And that was the occasion that got them all together in a remote place without provisions. And so Jesus multiplied the bread and fish and showed his power and his love. Knowing the ill intentions of the group, Jesus put his disciples on the boat and sent them across the sea. And that's where we met them last week. Dr. Hebner helped us to see that when Jesus is in the picture, we have no reason to fear. Jesus appeared to them. He walked on the water and he calmed the storm. Jesus taught them and us we can take courage and we need not be afraid. And then Jesus and his disciples finished the voyage across the lake, and that's where we meet them today. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? They knew that something incredible had happened. They knew that a miracle had taken place, and they missed it. They all clearly saw the disciples get in the boat on one side of the lake, and now they were all seeing all the same, an extra person on the boat. Jesus was getting off the boat with them. When did you get here, Rabbi? That was their way of saying, how? How did you get here? Tell us. Maybe show us again your miracle. The disciples knew something about Jesus, and the crowds knew something about Jesus, but Jesus knew something about them as well. That's why, he, that's why he said, Very truly I tell you, you were looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. There was a reason that Jesus left the crowds on the other side of the lake. He knew what they wanted. He knew that they were intending to make him a bread king. He knew that they wanted to have free lunch time and time again. They really thought that they could get used to this free meals and no working kind of system that that Jesus was certainly here to establish. They wouldn't mind if he seasoned in a few miracles to entertain them. But Jesus knew what they were hoping for. And that's why he discouraged them from such an attitude. Don't work after food that spoils, Jesus says. Find real bread. And Jesus used that occasion, the miracle that he had performed, to teach them this lesson about what real bread is and about food that spoils. And it's a good thing because we need 
that lesson too. How often don't we chase after food that spoils? How often isn't our primary and sometimes our only concern the physical needs that we have? We have no problem putting in a 40-hour work week. In fact, we gobble up over time, uh, sometimes unwillingly, uh, but we take it if we can because we know that means the check is going to be greater. We don't have any issues with a two-hour movie in the evening, three hours for a sporting event. We wouldn't even bat an eyelash at, and when it goes into extras, no one complains. But 15 minutes a day of sitting down across the table from your Savior, a two-hour experience once a week to take in an hour of worship and an hour of corporate Bible study, how many times hasn't the voice inside our heads reasoned with ourself? Oftentimes the excuse even makes its way onto our lips. I just don't have time for that. Or sometimes we come to worship and on the way out the door in our minds we check the box. Done with that. Gotten my spiritual thing done for the week and now I can focus on me. What are the things in our lives that supersede worship and Bible study that make that difficult for us? to regularly feast on the Word of God? Is it kids' sports? Is it camping every weekend? Is it sleeping in? Is it an attitude that the weekend is me time and I can't give any of it up? How often we show that we are chasing after food that spoils. What are the things that tempt you? That tempt you to to undervalue, underappreciate, and underutilize the time that God gives you to spend with him. You know yourselves better than I. What are the things that are tempting to take that number one place? Whatever list is running through your mind right now, you have a list for yourself, a personal list of food that spoils. And when we chase after bread that spoils and we don't feast on the living bread, we deserve ourselves to be spoiled. We deserve to be spoiled and sick and worse. When we violate God's commands, we deserve to be punished. When Adam and Eve went their own way, God removed them from the tree of life and he removed them from the garden. That's what we deserve too. We deserve to be separated from the bread of life. We deserve to be cast out of God's presence forever. And it's there. It's there in the depths of our sin and our despair that our need is seen most Clearly, we cannot make our situation better. We cannot fix the mess of a life that now sits in our hands. We cannot 
change our sinful ways. We cannot mix up our own batch of bread that saves. No. We are hopeless and helplessly lost. And we deserve hell. And it's just then, and it's just there, and in fact, that's the very reason that our God comes to us in love. It's just then, and it's just there that Jesus announces to us a feast. A feast that we could never deserve and that we could never pay for, yet Jesus gives it to us nonetheless. Nonetheless. He feeds us so that we can have a relationship with him. He feeds us so that we can have faith. Faith that understands that our sins are forgiven by his grace and by his grace alone. That we can have faith that understands that he is our one and only source of salvation. It can be found in no one else. Jesus is the only one who can and he's the only one who does offer us real and lasting life. Jesus feeds us and feeds our souls so that we can see him as Savior and Lord. He feeds us so that we can see that Jesus has done what was impossible for us. Jesus kept the law perfectly. He obeyed every desire and demand of his Father so that you and I could be forgiven. He was willing and able to obey the law perfectly so that he could give us his perfection. And then, so that we could truly have peace and so that we could truly have life, the bread of life died. He bore a cross that should have been ours and rested in a place, lifeless, in a place in the grave that should have been ours. But Jesus had to do it. He had to do it so that he could be the bread of life. That was the only way that he could be the feast that brings us life. That was the only way that we could have a relationship with the Father. And so Jesus, in love, he came to be our substitute, to be our Savior. He came to endure the pain and the punishment and the cross and the grave so that peace and life could be ours to the fullest. Jesus feeds us with the bread of life so that we can live eternally. Heaven is our home because the bread of life has been given to us. Heaven is our home because of our Savior's love. Therefore, my friends, feast. Feast on Jesus. Consume him and his words of love. Hear his words of forgiveness and life and make them your own. Be connected to him so that you can grow. That you can grow in your appreciation for what Jesus has done for you so that you can grow in your willingness to make him number one in your life so that you can grow closer and closer to him. There are many people in your lives who are hungry and most of them don't even know it. Feed them. Feed them with the bread of life. Does that sound like a huge, monumental task? 
Let me make it a little simpler for you. Start. Start with the ones that you give physical bread to. Train your children to long for the bread of life. Build them up and help them to see in Jesus a source of hope and peace. Center your marriage on feeding one another because then you'll both be strong to face trial and temptation along the way. Find those in your family of faith who are in need. Feed them. Offer meals to those who are in need. But don't stop there. Don't stop with physical bread. Offer the words of encouragement that God has put in your hearts so that they might have more than a meal for their stomach, but rather a meal for their souls. And then once you've fed your family and your family of faith, then you can consider just exactly how hungry the world around you is. They are chasing after the wrong kind of bread. They are looking in all of the wrong places, and you have real bread. Feed them. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and worship your Father in heaven. Offer an invitation that someone might sit next to you at the feast that God's word is. Invite them to join you for worship. Help them to understand what a feast our Savior is. Share a social media post from Grace so that you can help our reach to be even further. Offer your own social media encouragement so that others might have the feast laid before them that you have. Share a link to a worship service video. Grab a text copy in the back of a sermon on which you have feasted and then allow someone else to do the same. In all of these ways, you are feeding those around you. In all of these ways, you are helping others to see that Jesus is the bread of life. Fresh baked bread smells so delicious. And it tastes even better. But nothing beats the feast that you have in Jesus. Feast often. Consume his words of love. Celebrate and rejoice in the fact that Jesus is the best bread. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace or to support this ministry, please visit gracedowntown.org today. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.